Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. What happened was um, an unknown Louisiana congressman suddenly became Speaker of the House. He wasn't unknown to us. We respected him. We love him. We admire him. He's a friend. And Mike Johnson, when he stepped into that role, people were saying, who's Mike Johnson? Uh, For a whole lot of us, we've known for several decades who Mike Johnson is and honor him and love him. The result was uh, the radical left began to try to find some dirt on him, trying to dig everywhere they could. And one of the things that they found was he'd been on the World Prayer Network and he had actually said that America was depraved and needed God. How terrible is that, that someone would say that? To the radical left, that was a reason for treason, apparently. And so they began trashing him, and you can read all kinds of articles and attacks. They're bizarre, they're sick, they're unfortunate. In the midst of that, they attacked those of us who know Mike Johnson and appreciate him and have high respect for him. And so a number of interesting attack pieces have come and some of the classic words that are used, accusatory words, they're old, worn-out lines. And so we got in a conversation, unscripted, unplanned, except I just called these guys that, hey, can you come on with me? And, and we hit a record button with no plan of what was going to be said. And here's a conversation about this with Lance Wallnow, Tim Barton, and myself from yesterday. Watch it. It's Jim Garlow. I'm here with a couple of friends, Lance Wallnow. And uh, Tim, Tim Barton, uh, guys in Texas. Hey, I, I, I'm not sure about some stuff. I, I've been hearing that you guys are part of this thing called NAR. NAR. Are, are you are you guys part of what's what's the National, part of? National Association of Realtors? Because I'm not a realtor. Oh, well, maybe that's it. Lance, are you at NAR? NAIR, brother, is for hair removal. It's a product. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, first time I saw that, and I was supposedly part of it, I actually honestly thought, I thought they meant NRA. I thought I'd never been a part of the NRA. I had to Google what NAR was to see what it was. So, but Lance, tell us what NAR is, because if we're in it, we really have the right to know what we're in, don't we? Yeah, you know, what's, what's, what's curious about this, folks may not know this. Like, So what happens is guys like Garlo or Barton or me, the way that the left tries to attack us is they create a fictional something that we're associated with. And that fiction is, it was in our case, even confusing to us. I had no idea what NAR was because they were making it sound like the Illuminati. And, and, and as you know, we are no Illuminati out there. We're a grassroots people. Shofar blowing pro-life Catholics are not your Illuminati. But they, but the origin of this, Jim. Do you know what the origin of NAR actually is from Wagner, Doctor Wagner? As a oh, Wagner in the nineteen eighties or nineteen nineties, he got back from South America. He'd seen uh, apostolic means trans geographical. He'd seen pastors who rise up who were over a lot of churches, a lot of locations. That that was unique to North America. We never heard of that up here, but they were doing that down there, and so that's where it it developed, to my knowledge. And I haven't heard that phrase. I haven't heard that phrase since about 1995, maybe, until suddenly it got raised up uh, these last few years by uh, either leftists or other people labeling a bunch of us NAR. Well, Tim, you guys, do you guys get associated with that term? 
you know, we hear uh, definitely more of the Christian nationalists, but it's 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 all it's all the same yeah. paradigm, right? They're they're trying to to pinhole us so they can use unique criticisms and say these guys are uniquely bad and evil because they're people that care about America and they love God, and you can't do both at the same time, or you're really really bad. You know, it's just it, it's that same old adage. Uh, it's tired, it's worn out, but when people don't know what it is and they hear some organization, they instantly think of like the KKK because of course the modern era we live in now, if somebody doesn't like you, they call you a Nazi, even though they don't really know what Nazis are, what that means, right? They'll, they'll call you a member of the KKK or racist or transphobic. They, they throw all these labels out there without understanding that words actually mean things. And, and we're not actually part of what you're saying we're part of. It's not our belief system, but it's really this move to try to cancel us, to, to minimize our perspective, our voices, and to try to remove influence of people that would probably agree with everything we're saying. But if we have a bad label, then it discredits us and people shouldn't like us or follow us. That's really the the attack and the strategy. The Christian nationalist thing has a history to it. It's kind of unique. Uh, where I did my doctorate at the university uh, on the East Coast, Will Herberg was the famous professor there. He'd written a book called Protestant Catholic Jew. Made the case of what's called cultural religion or civil religion. And that was an observation sociologically. And, and then from that, it became, to some, a negative word. Oh, is it a cultural religion? And then they went from that to, if I know the right sequence here, oh, theocracy. You're advocating for a theocracy. I don't even know what a theocracy would look like. I actually like a constitutional republic. I just want to gather enough people to outvote the people who are wrong on all the issues. But they say, oh, no, you're a theocratist. And then they said, oh, you're a dominionist. They went to that one next. And, uh, of course, killing off of Genesis chapter 1, where the word dominion used, it means to be a careful steward of something that's not ours, to have dominion over the earth, take care of the earth, because God owns the earth and not us. But they distort it. So, oh, you want to take dominion over all of us. But Christian nationalism is the new one. So if we travel to a different country, if I go to Hungary or Bolivia or Brazil or Guatemala, I want them to be Christians, and I want them to love their nation and work for the best of the nation to follow Romans 13. But somehow this phrase, Christian nationalist, and Lance, I told you their name, what an insult. Lance, you're a Christian internationalist. Exactly. <laughs> why, why limit me to just one country? I don't go to these other countries for nothing. It's Christian international. <laughs> it's, it's even worse. <laughs> it's completely worse. It's much worse than they think. And, and besides well, that, I, I mean, I know you can't win. Uh, I remember Rush Limbaugh, like one of his great laments was, Folks, the word conservative, uh, it, it's, it's been killed, it's been used, we, we don't have another word. It's, but he was lamenting the fact that when the ubiquitous power of corporate leftist media is grabs hold of a concept they don't like, it, it's, it's, it's like the first century church. I mean, all that we know is, the Bible says, you know, when they were talking to Paul, that everywhere this way is spoken against. And, and, and Rush was saying, conservative, we need, what other word can we use? This word's been trashed. They're going to do that with, if they could do that with conservative, they're going to do it with whatever label we have. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out, maybe we need to just own the label and challenge their definition of it. Because I don't think we can escape the fact that they're going to come after us, regardless of what we do. I, I, I thought it was the day that came out said, uh, apparently, Garl supposedly believes in a utopian where everybody follows God's commandments. I said, yes, I do. <laughs> Jesus is going to rule someday. The millennium is going to take place, and Jesus is going to rule. Yes, I wait for that day. I long for the return of the Lord. 
So they're, they're, they're saying something eschatologically significant without perhaps even knowing it. Well, they're, they're, they're accusing you of believing your Bible and how dare you as a Christian read and believe your Bible. I mean, this is what's so crazy is we are getting criticized from a theological standpoint from people who don't believe in the Bible, who don't believe in God. And then we are getting advice from people who don't even know that there are two genders, right? Like they don't even know there's a boy and a girl and they're going to try to give us life lessons and coach us how to live life. That's just this is like the greatest irony ever that people that can't figure out the most basic concepts, that they can't figure out that, that marriage really is, is a man and woman because uh, it's procreation. That's how you have kids and that men can't have babies. But to say men can't have babies today, that makes you hateful and bigoted for some reason. Like these are the people that are lecturing us, calling us extremists. When no, it's not extreme to believe that women have babies. It's not extreme to believe that there's a man and a woman. It's extreme to believe that men can have babies. We're not the extremists. We're not the crazy ones. To me, this guy, this is one of the great ironies that we're being lectured by people that don't even believe in boys and girls as they're trying to give us guidance on how to live life. That is crazy. The people who don't know what a woman is are experts on the Bible. Right. And, and, and they're going to tell you, right, that you're wrong in your position on the Bible from people who don't even believe the Bible. They don't believe in God. And yet they're so scientific that they can give us all the information of why we should wear masks and get however many, uh, you know, pokes in the arm from these shot kind of things. And like, hang on a second. You, you're, you're so inconsistent in your position in science. Like you figure out what you believe in, then let's have a conversation. But right now they're, they're just trying to attack and criticize and demonize people that are upholding any kind of immoral standard or promoting anything that would be considered good and rational and decent. And the only defense they have, they, they, they can't argue from an intellectual capacity. They can't argue on moral grounds. They have to demonize and try to shut down the other side because that's their only chance for winning this. Hey, I was accused, I was actually accused of, of believing that, that America had some Christian foundations some, some Christian roots as opposed to being a quote, secular uh, democracy. Can you imagine, Tim, uh, Tim you, you, you know the founding fathers well. Uh, all founding fathers, if I recall right, they were all secularists, right? I mean, right. This is the, again, like Jim. This is it's so crazy that we're having to have these conversations. So the fact that you read a history book that was written before like 1980, and and you have the position that everybody in America knew for hundreds of years when. George Washington, when he marries Martha, she has kids. And George and Martha never had kids, but but one of Martha's kids uh, ends up having multiple kids and, and, and the husband dies and she has four kids. And so George and Martha adopt two of her kids, which are their grandkids. One of them was Mary Park Custis. Uh, she's the grandkid, but really becomes a daughter of George and Martha. And, and she actually wrote a letter to Jared Sparks. He was one of the very early biographers of George Washington. And she told him that you should sooner question George Washington's patriotism than his Christianity. And she goes through and documents all the things from his Christian faith that were so obvious. Everybody that studied history used to know George Washington was a Christian. And yet today you read a modern textbook and people go, oh my gosh, he was a deist. He didn't believe in God, whatever. Like this is crazy. And it only happens because people don't know history. Of the 56 signers of the declaration, it's believed that 55 of them at the time they signed were members of Orthodox Christian denominations. The only one who wasn't was Benjamin Franklin, but Benjamin Franklin wasn't even anti-God or anti-Christian. He was the only founding father that ever self-identified as a deist, but where he did that, it's in his autobiography. And if someone would take time to go read it, 
There's two paragraphs where he talks about it. He says when he was 15 years old, 15, that's an important number. He's 15 years old. He was, was hearing and reading some discussions between some pastors and, and some leading deists arguing against kind of this notion of God's involvement. And he said at the end of this discussion, he, he thought the deist actually made some better arguments than the pastors. He said, so I determined I was going to be a deist. And in the next paragraph, he says, but upon further consideration, I realized that even though the deist might have been right in some of their arguments, that the, the, the belief of deism itself was of no use to me. It was of no benefit to anyone else. So I quickly left that belief behind. The only founding father that ever self-identified was a deist by his own admission was a deist for like a week and a half. And then he's not a deist anymore. But, but people haven't taken time to study the writings of the founding fathers to know that there actually were pastors in the founding fathers. The founding fathers were the founders of Bible societies. They wanted to evangelize the entire nation and the entire world. This is why it's so crazy when people suggest that the founding fathers weren't influenced by Christianity, that they weren't influenced by the Bible. They only can take that position because they've never studied actual historical documents from that era. Because if they had, they would know that is the foundation of America was Christianity and the Bible. But what you do possibly know, you and your dad only have 160,000 of the primary documents of the founding fathers uh, before 1812, the largest private collection in the world on that. So what could you possibly know, Tim Barton? Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very modest. I only have actually literally beside me, uh, like the original printing of George Washington's first presidential prayer proclamation, because uh, we, as we were having this discussion, it was close around the time of Thanksgiving. I was doing some media interviews. I literally have hundreds of proclamations, Thanksgiving proclamations sitting beside me. And when someone says, for example, the founding fathers weren't religious, I can just go, let's pause for a second, because... By 1815, there were more than 1,400 prayer proclamations issued by the government, by governors, by presidents, or by Congress. And if we're talking about the founding fathers weren't religious, that's an awful lot of prayer proclamations for people who apparently didn't believe in God. It doesn't make any sense when you know the original documents. And oh. to your point, Jim, we have quite a large collection of original documents. Oh, my goodness. They must have been Christian nationalists. Maybe they were part of the NAR. Lance, what do you think? I want to ask, uh, Tim, is it true that Washington um, opted to have a Bible for his swearing-in ceremony, or what's the origin of the Bible in the inauguration? Yeah, so the, the, the Bible was was part chosen to be there for the inauguration. Now, uh, what is, is significant, there were several newspapers that wrote about that day. Uh, Washington was the one, at the end of the oath, he's the one that added, so help me God. That was not part of the actual oath. That was what he added. And then the newspapers that were there, the, the authors that were there that wrote about it that day, they say that after he took his oath, he knelt down and he kissed the Bible. He then led the entire delegation to a church service where they went and they dedicated themselves to God at church service, which he'd already been to church before that taking communion. And then he had pastors involved and even rabbis that were involved. It was a very, very religious time. And, and, and again, this is where if people would go back and study the original writings, we can certainly agree that, that the founding fathers weren't perfect, but the idea that that these were these really evil men or really secular men, they didn't believe in God, it makes no sense when you study who they were and what they did. Washington is a guy that added, so help me God under the oath. He reached down and he kissed the Bible. He then leads the delegation to church. That's pretty religious for someone who people today argue was really secular and didn't believe in God. That's just not true at all. Well, I guarantee that uh, he would be called a Christian nationalist if he was uh, alive today.
So, Jim, real quick, I'm curious about this thing with Mike Johnson. You think it's going to blow over, or are they going to continue to try to vilify him as a Christian nationalist? Are they going to try to criminalize all of the uh, evangelicals? And, and I mean, where do you think that craziness goes? Well, as long as he keeps uh, serving the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the enemies of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are going to continue attacking. It's been going on since the beginning of history. I don't think it's going to stop now. They'll, they'll figure out a new new story, a new something. Uh, they'll dig up something that he said he actually believes that uh, uh, that men are supposed to love God and worship God. And say, oh, no. The Speaker of the House, he believes you should know God, love God, and worship God. How terrible is that? So they'll find a new phrase, and they'll move on to that one. But the, uh, the beating up on him will, uh, will continue indefinitely because the enemies of God have always been beaten up on the people of God. That's not new, and it's not going to end. Well, Jim and Lance, let me let me add. I think Mike Johnson is a really good example too of of a modern day Daniel, because when the opponents of Daniel from the Bible wanted to get Daniel, they investigated his life and they said, you know, we don't have anything we can pin this guy on except his faith. When you look at the attacks on Mike Johnson, right? They made fun of him because he had a normal mortgage on his house. They made fun of him because he had an anti-pornographic app on his phone that he and his son were doing accountability stuff together. And he tells his son, hey, you put this on yours, I'll put it on mine. We're gonna work together to make sure that we don't give in to this sinful desire of pornography. And, and literally, they can find nothing else on him. If you look at someone like a Nancy Pelosi, right? You look at a Mitch McConnell, you look at some of these other political leaders, and, and they've done some trades, they've done some deals, they have some financial backing, and you're like, okay, they might have some issues. For Mike Johnson, they could find nothing, and so in the Bible, the enemies of Daniel, they say, hey, we're gonna have to get this guy on his faith because there's nothing else we can trap this guy on. I think it's quite interesting that the leading attacks against Mike Johnson are centered around his faith because he has lived up to this point such a life of integrity, of, of moral decency, of a moral high standard that when the only thing they can criticize you for is your faith, that's a guy that we really should be thanking God for, that he is in that position, and also recognize the, the strategy of the other side and the fact that they have a lack of any other kind of criticism and attacks that boasts really well for Mike Johnson. Lance, what are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are, and uh, I think it's ironic that they link you, of all the squeaky clean evangelicals I know, I mean, there's a lot of characters we got in our movement, but you're like, you're like the Mike Johnson of our side. Like, ain't nothing gonna find on Jim Garlow. So, and they, and he, and so they're linking you to him. And I, I'm sorry that you had to become the lightning rod of his nefarious NAR associations with Dominionists and Seven Mountain people. But uh, I, I think they really misfired because you were the, you were exactly the, uh, you know, the person that is like him. I mean, you're kind of a boring guy, Jim. <laughs> I am brilliant, but let's face it, I'm not going to catch you at a, you know, a comedy club or a nightclub. So, uh, so we, I, think, I, think, I think it all backfires at the end of the day because I don't know how you can, how you can make terrorists or threats out of half of the voters in America without a backlash. I was surprised when Biden originally did his ominous red speech, you know, in Philadelphia. I mean, I thought there would be a bigger backlash because you cannot vilify half of the electorate. I mean, Lincoln had enough sense in bringing the Civil War country together when the South was clearly on the wrong moral ground, and he had the uh, wisdom to say, let's heal the nation's wounds and bind it up. These guys on the left are using a tactic to divide America and to demonize 
some of the most wholesome and, and innocent and God-fearing, well, God-fearing people. And I think that is deserving of, uh, of, of, of being beaten up badly. And so I'm thinking, man, we really have to deal with this thing because they're, they're really going after innocent people. Trump said something once, Jim, at a meeting when I first met him. He said 10 years ago, 20 years ago, when I grew up, Billy Graham was respected in the United States. He said, if you don't mind me saying so, uh, the way that they talk about Christians, you guys have gotten soft. And then he realized he was trying to win the evangelicals over. And he said, well, when I mean that, I mean, we've gotten soft, me and you. But obviously, he wasn't an evangelical. He had slipped. But he made a great point. You've gotten soft. So let me throw it at you guys. I don't want to be soft, but I don't know exactly how a Christian fights back. What are your thoughts on what, what do we do to not be soft when they go after your kids and innocent Americans and, and label them as insurrectionists and, and domestic terrorists? Tim? Well, I, you know, the, the first thing I, I remember is what the Apostle Paul said, that be careful how you walk, uh, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time for the days are evil. And, and we have to walk in a lot more wisdom than we're walking in. And part of it is that the way you overcome the lie of the devil, you first have to identify it as a lie, right? When, when uh, in the Garden of Eden, the serpent shows up to Eve and, and he, he brings questions. And God really say, and it's questioning truth. And what Eve should have quickly done is said, yes, God really said that. And no, I'm not going to eat from that tree. We have to know what the truth is to overcome the lie. And then we have to have the courage to stand on the truth. One of the things that we're challenging people with now big time, and I think this is kind of a lance to your point of, of we ought to be able to stand up and to push back against evil. It says the fear of the Lord, Proverbs 8:13. the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. A lot of times as Christians, we're told, wait a second, no, you're not supposed to hate things. No, 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 you read the Bible. Do a keyword search in the Bible. Look up the word hate. God hates a lot of stuff, but everything that God hates is evil. Everything that God hates is what destroys and kills and harms his children. God hates a lot of stuff, but it's it's not that God hates individuals as we are, but God hates the evil that people are promoting and the damage it does. And Revelation 21, verse 8, when it goes through the list of everybody that will have their part in, in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, right? Which is the second death. It's super fascinating how that list goes because it lists the murderer and the idolater and the fornicator and it lists all these people that have done some really bad things. But the first two people on the list, it says the cowardly and the unbelieving. Now the unbelieving, if you don't believe in Jesus and right, you've, you've rejected faith and that's, that's how you have salvation through Jesus. So I get that one. But the first one on the list, the very first thing it mentions is the cowardly. The cowardly are the people that knew the truth but didn't have the backbone to stand up for the truth, right? The, the Bible says in James 4, 17, to him who knows to do good and does it not to him it is sin. If you know something is right and you don't stand up for what's right, the Bible identifies that as not only cowardice, but that is literally the first people listed in the ones that are having their part in the language burned with fire and brimstone. And this is where I think we have to understand as Christians, as much as we want to walk in love because God is love and we love because he first loved us, at some point, if we don't have some courage and backbone and stand up, we better be careful that we don't fall in the category on the other side when we are watching evil and we become tolerant of things that God was not tolerant of, right? Woe to those that call evil good and good evil. If we're not going to stand up and push back, then, then we put ourselves in a different camp and category. And there's only two categories. You're either on God's side or you're not. And we better figure it out and we better start standing up. First of all, again, you have to know the truth, but then once you know the truth in love, you stand up and with courage, you speak the truth 
And then, you know, Jimmy, even as we're, we're talking about some of what you've had to deal with quite recently, the Bible says, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. And then as Christians, we have to understand that there's going to be people that will persecute us just because we are standing up for righteousness. And we can't be so scared of being canceled, of, of having opposition, that we stop standing up for what God has told us is good and righteous and just. And we need to make sure that we are the watchmen on the walls sounding that trumpet. I, I haven't lost one second sleep over the accusations of being tied with Mike Johnson, etc. Not one second. Why? Because the word is so powerful. The word of God. The enemies of the word of God have reason to be quaking because the judgment day of some form in some way is coming at some point. They, they, they say, oh, you're Christian nationalist. Oh, no, I'm way more than that. I don't want America. I want all 200 nations. And how do I want them? I want the people in those nations to discover who Jesus is, to fall in love with Jesus, to recognize he died for our sins, the garbage, the junk in all of our lives, to embrace him as Lord and Savior, start walking in his ways, reflect the holiness and righteousness of Christ, to be filled with his Holy Spirit so we can be empowered to live above the junk. Oh, man, every one of these people who are writing against us, how great they're being exposed to the gospel. This is wonderful. Thank goodness you don't want to be ignored. And so this is a blessing. This is wonderful. So it's not Christian nationalists. Man, it's every nation, international. We want the word of Jesus, the truth of Jesus to go forth and people to want to choose him, to embrace him. And then where does that play over politically? People filled with the likeness of Christ. They want godliness and righteousness and holiness in their government. So their government's being so corruption starts. So all the evil in government begins to decline because righteous people are put into office and want to do that which is right by the people under them in their respective nations. So Christian nationalism is way too small a goal for me. I want to see every nation come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lance? Well, you know, there's there's two thoughts real quick. One is there's a lie that is embedded in the narrative of every attack piece that I've read. And it bothers me because I have talked to one or two guys, one from the Atlantic, who was doing an article, and actually he never published it because I think he started off with the premise that I was radical and crazy and then gradually became fascinated, ironically, by uh, Kim Clement and prophecy and went in another direction entirely because he thought maybe maybe there's something to, you know, to what these guys believe. But the lie that he was after was, you guys are trying to force your beliefs on the country like a, like a Pentecostal Taliban and that you uh, subscribe to violence if necessary. It's this interesting narrative that if you're a Christian nationalist, if you love America and you're a Christian, or you're part of the NRA or the NAR, whatever they're calling it, then that you, are, you subscribe to some kind of a confrontation with culture. Now here's the lie. Our movement has been from the beginning, the only weapon we have is the power of persuasion. And, uh, and this is what I said to him. I said, Wilberforce put it clearly in Britain that our battle is a sustained pattern of public persuasion. We do not believe in the force of arms. We believe in the force of arguments. And our appeal isn't to, you know, the media. Our appeal is to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And I think that that one thing has to be made very clear, that our movement is not a domestic Antifa on the right. right. And the second thing is, their movement is a domestic Antifa on the left, 
and that if we don't win on our side, then they will impose a tyranny on freedom, freedom of speech, the ability to, for parents to protect their child's gender in every area that they talk about democracy being under threat. You can flip it and say that they are the greatest threat to democracy. If Christianity goes down in America, the cement that holds this civilization together goes with it and the whole house collapses. We build on the rubble of ancient tribes trying to overcome each other. That's what I wish we would be able to say, and I wish that people could hear it. My wife and I were in London in a conference in June, and in that conference, it wasn't a Christian conference, though I suppose most of the people there would hold to the fact of Judeo-Christian values. Some of them were former prime ministers, uh, fairly high level and influence government and business. It's a small group, but they made an observation. Now, these were not a group of people that are wired quite like us as evangelicals and maybe Bible carrying like we are. But they said, it is interesting to us that the left has overplayed their hand. They overplayed on two issues and now the broad mushy middle is now pushing away from them. And those two issues are the radical uh, climate change religion and transgenderism. Those two were bridged too far and the general public is not going with them anymore. Then we were at another major conference just recently, also in the same city in London, just a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago. Uh, 1,500 invited delegates, uh, 73 nations invited, uh, 92 speakers, and overwhelming was that same thing, only the thesis on this one was, we have a better story to tell. We have a better story to tell. Why a mother and a father and child is important. Why a community network is important. Why honor is good. Why virtue is good. Why, why appropriately creating this earth for energy independence is a good thing. It's part of the, the dominion language in Genesis 1, chapter 1, but the left doesn't understand that. Why, why a free, free market, free decision market driven, as opposed to a coerced Marxist, is, is good. We have a better story to tell. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the very end of it, I think it, Paul says, I show you a better way, a more excellent way. And so what the message we have is I show you a more excellent way. Look at Antifa. You want that? No, I'll show you more excellent. Look at BLM on the streets. No. You, you look at, at, at all the cars being, the windows being smashed in, in San Francisco every few seconds. No, I'll show you a, a, a better way. You want to see little boys whose privates are cut off and they're called girls? No, I'll show you a more excellent way. You want to destroy the definition of marriage and et cetera. No, I'll show you a... I'll show you a better way. And so that's the language, that's the privilege we have. And I think that's why I don't like to call it's not right versus left, it's right versus wrong. So I'm gonna call it the wrong. They're biblically scripturally wrong. And so the wrong is in a panic mode. And since they can't argue and debate with a Lance Wallnow or a Tim Barton on intellectual grounds, there's only one thing left. You're NAR, you're Christian nationalist, or some label they've got to put to denigrate you because they just can't possibly compete in the marketplace of ideas. Well, guys, it's been good being with you guys. Uh, this is this is fun. So I'm going to let you go. Man, I'm going to pray. Father, thank God for these two brothers, the privilege of being together on this day. We thank you for the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ that sets the prisoner free. We thank you for the impartation of the Holy Spirit that causes us to rise up with joy in our hearts and conviction and belief and we can be reflectors of the righteousness of christ 
Help us to do that in a way that is captivating, not just to America, but to every person on the planet. Eight billion people, Lord. We long for them all to come to know and love the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the name above all names, Yeshua, we pray. Amen. Guys, thank you for hanging Amen. out with me for a few minutes. Absolutely. I'll be with you. Blessings on you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Don't forget to hit subscribe to keep up to date with our latest episodes. Leave us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Thank you for listening to the WellVersed podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.